And um, you guys mentioned that the, the radio frequency of 100 megahertz or less is the best suitable frequency for observing the planetary transit. Ciao, and welcome to the Frontier Space Podcast, a dialogue about how space technology and exploration are transforming our solar system. Welcome, Sumitra. Thank you. Thank you again for the inviting me in this podcast. Anytime. Have you guys some snow up there in Massachusetts? Yeah, it's a little bit. Today it's sunny quite, but only two days before it's snowing. Nice. You've, um, well, we're honored to have you on here and I wanted to uh, dive right into more of your exciting research and and kind of uh, what inspired you toward this uh, exoplanet and electromagnetism work. So we thought maybe if we can observe the exoplanet in radio or XA or UV, then maybe it can give us some better understanding about that atmosphere. So what do we... And that actually inspired us to do this study. So here we mostly focuses on the radio observation to figure out that can we measure the magnetic field of the exoplanet. If we can measure that, the magnetic field, it will give us an idea that whether this planet can retain their atmosphere or not. Because if there is very weak magnetic field or the almost no magnetic field, then you can expect that stellar wind will destroy the planetary atmosphere. So that's why the magnetic field is important. And in this study, actually, we aim to figure out the method for measuring this magnetic field. Yeah, um, I was wondering more about the magnetohydrodynamic MHD simulations you guys used. Uh, Look like this model helped you predict the radio transit modulation between the stellar wind and the exoplanet magnetic field. Yes. So actually, we solved the MHD equations with the stellar magnetogram of HD, I think it's 128793, I forgot. So HD 128790 star. So I used their magnetogram to model the stellar wind. And then we place a planet as a boundary condition. So we place the planet at certain distance. And basically we change the boundary condition in a way such that the planet will be there. And then this, we perform these simulations. So 
basically you can see that we perform the stellar wind simulation and then we put a planet to study the interaction of stellar wind with the planetary atmosphere and mathematically we, we can say that we use the planet as a boundary condition Awesome. And um, wondering the, also about the 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 Alfen this the wave solar atmosphere model the awesome I think okay so you see that if you solve the basic image equations there are four equations one is the density evolution equation basically the mass continuity equation and another is the navier tooks equation magnetic induction equation and the energy equation so if you solve these four equations with proper initial and boundary conditions and basically the initial condition will be the magnetogram structure of the star that will give you the stellar wind structure but problem is if you solve just only these four equations, it will give you a wind structure with high velocity at the pole and uh, slow velocity near the equator. Basically, if you have a dipolar magnetic field initial structure, so magnetic field that mostly closed near the equator and it's open near the pole. So what will happen that the solar or stellar wind speed will be higher at the open field region and it will be less in the closed field region. And anyway, you can say that no magnetic field is actually closed, but if you consider a same of the appliance, then some field lines are open, in particularly that frame, and some field lines are closed. And in this open field line, wind speed will be higher. So in case of sun, what we have seen, that although only the MHD models, which are basically the temperature-driven wind, you will not be explained to this fast wind that observes slow wind structure. In a temperature-driven wind model, you can go up to 300 kilometer per second or 400 kilometer per second. But we don't have observations for other stars, but we have observations for the sun. And for the sun, what we know that it goes up to 800 to 900 kilometer per second. So now point is that, how can we explain the speed? Because for, for the sun, we know that surface temperature is 10 to the base six Kelvin around. So we cannot increase the temperature arbitrary as we have good observation. And with that temperature, we actually cannot explain the observed fast wind structures. And then it is believed that maybe this only the temperature is not sufficient to explain the observed fast wind. And then people started suggesting that there must be some other mechanism 
which provides the additional energy to explain that first wind. And this is basically the Alvin wave because you know that Sun's atmosphere is magnetic and there are many field line loops and because of this magnetic field perturbation, it will generate the Alvin wave. And this Alvin wave actually can generate the additional energy to explain the observed fast and slow in profile. But again, I am saying that this Alvin wave model is highly suitable for the solar case. And in that model, what we did, you have to solve the two additional equations for Alvin wave, because Alvin wave can propagate along the field line and opposite to the field line. And these two Alvin wave, one will be the propagate, propagating Alvin wave outside. And when it will propagate outside, some part of this Alvin wave will be deflected because of the density inhomogeneity. And now this outward Alvin wave and the inward Alvin wave will collide and will generate the turbulence. And this Alvin wave turbulence will give you the supply of the, that additional energy. So basically you have to solve all the four MHD equations plus two additional Alvin equations, Alvin wave equations, one for uh, propagating Alvin wave, outward propagating Alvin wave, and another is for counter propagating means deflected Alvin wave. And this two, if you solve this additional two equations, it will give you the turbulence energy amount. And that actually is necessary to explain the observed first wind in the sun. Again, I am saying that this is more suitable for sun because you don't have observations for other stars. Means if the star is very massive, means high mass star, one can expect that the wind is will be mostly temperature driven. But for solar-like mass, this Alvin wave driven model is the most suitable because only temperature will not be expelled to explain the observed structure. And then um, on top of the Alvin waves, it looks like that the, um, the star-planet interactions in the radio and ultraviolet and x-ray might also help. Yes. Explain more about the magnetic field of the planet. Magnetic field of the planet. So what we found there, that actually we place the planet at different distance from the star. And, and we also changed the, we changed the planetary orbital distance as well as we studied at different frequency, radio frequencies. And what we find that the, and in our model, what we did new here, that the, for the first time we implemented the planet moving the, around the planet self-consistently. Because most of the previous studies, they are only able to do this study by placing the planet at one specific position. But 
in our simulation, it is time dependent. This planet is exactly moving around the star in a orbit. And that development actually allows us to do the study of transit. So as our planet is now moving around the orbit self-consistently, it actually captures the influence of planetary motion on the surrounding atmosphere. And most of the previous study actually missed this because they are not able to capture this time-dependent motion. And when we are able to do this, and then we perform this study by placing the planet at different distance, and we found that the radio behavior of the radio transit very significantly means radio signals modulates significantly. So now if if we can observe this radio modulations, then actually it will give us an idea about the exoplanet magnetic field. And here we have clearly shown that this exoplanet magnetic field, this radio modulation is highly correlated with the exoplanet magnetic field. And that way, but we also did the same study for XA and UV, but unfortunately we don't find any significant modulation in case of XA and UV. But point is that what magnetogram we use to model the stellar wind, that is not very good because there is no such good observation of the stellar magnetic field. So it's very low resolution magnetic magnetogram image we use to drive the model. So that may be one of the cause that we don't find any kind of significant modulation in XA and UV. But for the radio, we found quite significant modulation. And specifically, hmm? yeah, it's um, and so you guys primarily focused on the radio waves, not the ultraviolet and and, and X-ray spectrum. Right. No, we are, there is also one section in this paper about the XA and UV. Okay. But we don't find any significant change in case of XA and UV. Why why is that? Yes, that I what I told earlier that it, we exactly don't know, but it is probably due to the fact that the magnetogram we use to drive the stellar wind is very low resolution. As we said that we don't have good observations about stellar magnetic field. So as it is very low resolution, and also second point is that in our model, we don't have any kind of flare or semi. So if flare and semi happens, then much higher amount of XA or UV emission will be generated. And then only we can actually, if the star did not produce significant amount of radiation in XA or UV, 
then you cannot expect modulation mass because what will happen that when the planet orbits around the star some of the radiation will be blocked by the star blocked by that planet sorry and then one can expect a drop actually when it will be at the mid transit point but if the star itself don't produce much x and uv you cannot expect that so sufficient amount of x and uv emission production is necessary but probably this is our model problem of selecting the stellar magnetocon maybe for other star or where there is a good observation is necessary you can get something different but for that star it's very unlikely yeah. i'm curious on um like as the planets in in transit in front of the star um in in the for mentioned for a very short period of time only to uh, four to five hours depending on the, the period um, how that modulation is compared over over that um, planet uh, radio transit okay point is that let's say you have star and the planet is moving around the star and your telescope is here it's in the line of sight now when planet is far then you can expect almost most of the radio emission will directly come into your telescope. But now, when the planet will come here, means just along the line of sight, so what will happen? The planet will block some of the radio emission wave coming from the star. So what will happen? You can expect a drop at the mid-transit and if your obviously if your telescope is located at this point so you can expect a drop but problem with radio emission is that that during the propagation of, of radio wave from start to the telescope it suffers significant amount of ejection while in case generally people do the optical observation till now and advantage of optical observation is that for optical emission does not suffer much ejection. So in case of optical, what the Kepler's mission is doing in the optical observation. So in case of optical, what you will find that there will be when the planet will be will along the line of sight it will block the emission and there will be a drop and from that drop you can detect the exoplanet so but in case of radio emission or radio x-ray or uv also one can expect this kind of drop but in case of radio what will happen extra that as it suffers significant reflection during its propagation so sometimes you can expect an increase also specifically when the planet will be 
very close to the line of sight and this magnetotail of the planetary magnetosphere will focus some of the area wave into the telescope and follow. And that is the reason that radio emission will be highly modulated. And somehow what we find that this focusing or the blocking of the radio emissions actually depends on the structure of the planetary magnetosphere. And we know that planetary magnetosphere again depends on the planet's magnetic field. Yeah, and um, we were wondering with the transit method, how could we be sure that we're not overestimating the radius of the planet? We are not. Considering, considering if, even if we're imaging with telescopes in the optical, um, yes. the magnetosphere is what, like two to three Earth radii out, something like that? Hmm. So we're wondering if there, if some of the exoplanets are overestimated in size. Yes. In case of optical, it is very difficult to say. Because in case of optical observation, generally they don't focus much on the exoplanet magnetosphere structure. They only focus on the detection means if you can find a drop so there must be a planet then like in terms of the infrared and, and the uv right wouldn't that potentially there would still be some absorption and deflection with the magnetic field in in, in the optical yes there will be some but Generally, people focus only on the blocking part. They generally don't focus on the magnetosphere part, means how much will be the planet radius or size. It is actually difficult to say from the Kepler mission, from the optical observation. But recently, they sent another mission, which is TESS. And TESS mission is supposed to give some idea about the size. But that is also very unlikely because how much drop i mean you can say that if your magnetosphere structure is more bigger then you can expect a higher amount of drop because it will block the much more radiation and if your magnetosphere size is bigger that means the probably the planet size is bigger but you cannot say that directly because even if you have a planet size of planet of lower size if it has high magnetic field then planetary magnetosphere size may be bigger so it is i don't know but it's difficult actually to exactly estimate the size of the planet but you can Estimate the size of the magnetosphere structure. But that may give us give you some idea about the radius, but not exactly. And also if you can we can figure out the magnetotail size. 
or the, when the solar wind hits the planetary magnetosphere, there is a there is a point where the solar wind pressure and the magnetic field pressure from the planetary magnetic field pressure is almost equal. And if you can figure out the specific point, then actually from some mathematics we can estimate some I we can estimate something about the size and areas, but problem is that it is very difficult to do. Yeah, and it seems like the proportional flux along the magneto tail would be proportional to um, the sum of the reflected ions or or curved or bent. Um, across most of this spectrum. Yes. But it might be difficult to differentiate like the, the ray waves with what's with, with, with like between the x-rays, the radio waves and the and the UV and that and the infrared, you know, they they all kind of they're, they're meshed together in this in this magnetotail flux. <laughs> you know? Yes, yeah, that's the idea. But problem is that first we have to detect. In our model, what we find that even if radio modulates significantly, it is very difficult to detect with the present instrumentation capability. Only recently, I think in 2019 or 20, the instrument called LOFAR, Low Frequency Radio Array Telescope, which is the basically a ground-based telescope, that actually find out, find some exoplanets. But again, means we need base-based radio telescope probably or very high resolution radio telescope to detect this kind of modulation. But if we can detect means then probably we'll be able to figure out this kind of behavior. But detection is a very difficult task. Yeah. And, um... and what in our in our model also we found that the radio emission what the star generates it's very less so it's very difficult actually to detect with patient instrument and um also some of the math that um you guys did looks like it makes a lot of sense with the ray tracing algorithm yes. to calculate the curved path of the radio waves and you guys integrated over the ray trajectories or emissivity and calculated the intensity of each pixel. Yes. But point is that our model, in our model, we only generated the thermal radio emission. But till now, no instrument is not actually able to detect the thermal emission. Most of the instruments ground-based till now only able to detect the coherent radio emission, basically the radio burst. And radio burst actually only found when there is a flare or CME. 
And then actually the proton and electron particles will be accreted. And because of that accretion, they will generate some synchrotron radio emission. But in our model, actually, we don't have this particle propagation method that we are aiming to do that in future. So to generate the radio burst, one have to couple this model with the energetic particle propagation model. This is also known as the ACP model. So that one have to couple. And then only we will be able to calculate the synchrotron emission, synchrotron radio emission. But for now it is only the thermal radio emission. And thermal radio emission is very difficult to detect. And, and radio bursts are only possible when there is flare and CME. But that thing we are planning to do this in future, that what will be the impact of CME on flare on the thermal emission as well as in the non-thermal emission, radio emission. Seems like some exciting astroplasma physics going on. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and and so uh, you got you got to take a look at these graphs to understand the the, the modulation in the. Um, but it looks like there was significant modulation in the. Um, yes, fifty percent modulation. So it's significant, really. It's highly significant. The problem is the detection. Its total emission is very less. And then the thirty megahertz um, showed some promising modulation too. Looks like, but it really depends on the orbit. Looks like yes, it depends on orbit. But actually, what do you what you will see in this two plot, that for a higher frequency, there is always a drop. But for lower frequency, like 10 megahertz, 30 megahertz, or 20 megahertz, behavior is quite different. Means it did not drop always. That is because if radio frequency is low, low at lower radio frequency, it suffers very high amount of heat traction. So, and this effected waves can come into the radio telescope from any angle. And that actually changes the behavior of the radio transit at lower frequency. But that higher frequency, actually high frequency don't suffer much infection like low frequency. So in high frequency, you can always, you will always find the drop. But at low radio frequency, it will be quite random. I mean, sometimes it may increase and sometimes it increases. That is because of the infection issue. And that's why the XA and UV observation is not important. Because in case of XA actually, XA actually don't suffer much infection. And even if you see these radio astronomical studies nowadays, which is mostly which was the Pulsar study, 
it is from a yellow image, it is actually very difficult to determine where the pulsar is exactly. Because when the yellow emission comes from pulsar to your telescope, it suffers very high diffraction. So maybe your telescope is here, maybe pulsar is here, but radio wave effects so much that it comes from this angle and sometimes it goes out this side. So it did not actually use the telescope. So it is very difficult from that radio observation where is exactly the source means pulsar, let's say. And in case of exoplanet observation, it's also required behavior. But problem is for pulsar, we know that radio observation is only option because pulsar only emits the radio. Pulsar don't emit in optical and X7 much. So it, as it only emits in radio, so the only way to observe pulsar is in the radio. But for other stars, we have other options like XA, UV, and optical end of observation. But XA observation is much more better because XAO don't suffer diffraction. So, so if you have star and a and a planet, XA can come di almost directly. So XA can give us the clue, but point is in our study actually we don't find that probably it generates very less amount XA. That's why. And um, you guys mentioned that the, the radio frequency of 100 megahertz or less is the best suitable frequency for observing the planetary transit. But that frequency actually we found the most high drop. Means drop is larger at the 100 megahertz frequency range. But if you can ask me, if you ask me that why the 100 megahertz, <laughs> that we actually don't know much. That's, Means that's what the, we that's found. Question. Yeah. <laughs> yes, if you ask that why 100 megahertz will give you the larger dot, that actually we don't know. That why only 100 megahertz, not the higher. There's got to be some kind of relation to um, the intensity of the field. And those wave, wave interactions. I'll have to think about it. <laughs> yeah. But um, I, I think, you know, your study, like these electromagnetic spheres should really stick out like a sore thumb, you know? Um, it seems like most of the research, they, it, they're not really considered in, in the optical. Optical? Most of these are still now in optical. Yeah. But no, most of the are still now not considered these other bands because of the observational difficulty. Because observation in optical is quite easier. And most of the telescope, like Kepler and Tess, all are in optical band. 
the problem in optical band is that it will only help you to detect the exoplanet but if you say that this planet exists that's all but if you want to know about the details of the planet like how is the structure of the planetary atmosphere what is the planetary magnetic field what is the temperature at that planet then you need other observations means optical observations will not help you to do that and so problem is that we now have thousands of observations regarding exoplanet means we have discovered lots of exoplanets so detection part is now quite over means we have already detected many so it's now time to understand the atmosphere of these planets because this will only tell us that is there any possibility to have a life or not in that planet because what i say only the two condition one is temperature 0 to 100 that will tell you that liquid water exists and another condition is the magnetic field if you don't have the magnetic field there will be no atmosphere on that planet so this is the two most important condition yeah. um, so we're wondering with like what, what would such a space-based telescope look like? And there's one planned in, in the radio. Yeah, there is still now no space-based radio telescope because radio telescope is consists of basically many antennas. So, it is, it is till now we have developed only ground-based radio instruments. But in space-based, probably we have to send few satellites. And in every satellite, there will be some antenna. And then by that, but I think, actually, I am not an expert in this instrumentation domain. But I think they are planning to send a Sanjay's mission, which will be a space-based radio observatory in around 2025 or 6, NASA is actually planning to do that. But that will be only focused, that will only focus towards the sun. So, and another possibility is to place the area observatory in moon, in lunar surface. So that is also very difficult and I think very costly also. It seems like uh, L2 might be a good spot. Yeah, best option is the ground-based instrument at this moment. And till now, LOFAR is very good. But next upcoming radio telescope is the SCA. And SCA1, SKA1 and SCA2. Probably SCA1 and SCA2 will give us some idea about the exoplanet because LOFAR already detected few exoplanets, but LOFAR is also till now not able to characterize the atmosphere, which we need more high resolution to exactly figure out what is happening there. 
and probably scow one can help us but at least i think cow one will be able to help us in case of radio burst basically when flare or semi will happen that behavior i think cow one will be able to detect even not the thermal emission um but also wanted to along the lines of space-based imaging um could we potentially um you know put this on a satellite and face it toward earth and image in the radio wave spectrum these modulations he, like like here on earth for this this approach that you guys have taken there's got to be so like a lot of other applications here for earth too and We can do this study, but still, means for sun also we need a base-based telescope. Means like if um like we're familiar with synthetic aperture radar and mm -hmm. how we might be able to put um thirty to hundred megahertz radar antenna you know, toward Earth, if we could, you know, could we image these electromagnetic fields here on the surface and, you know, maybe from trees or, or 10 hertz or, or buildings or who knows? <laughs> that may be a possibility. <laughs> but it'd be like the radio waves would be, would be reflected if if they are because they're not like bent so it's no no reflection is also there it's bent and reflection means because if you see the expression that the dispersion relation and it will clearly tell you that if it is if the density is above the critical density, it will be reflected. So even if your telescope is here, some will be painted and some can some can reflect also. And this is actually highly true for low frequency radio. For higher frequency, it's quite unlikely, but still it may happen. That's yeah. why behavior of radio is quite means difficult to predict yeah. the behavior of radio emission. Yeah, it seems like the modulated radio waves could um, detect the location of a um, an object of interest. You know that generates or perturbs an electromagnetic field. Um, yes. And it seems like you, you could almost apply it to on like a micro scale too and you know either. How about uh,
a lot of exciting future research stuff. So. Yeah, this necessary to study in more detail. Specifically, I am more interested in the non-thermal part. That's what will happen if there is shaming and if the, when the particle will propagate. Means how will be the behavior of synchrotron emission? And what will be the behavior of X-ray emission at presence of CME and flare? Because in our model, it is surely very less amount of X-ray. That's why you don't find anything. But there's a thousand Earth-sized planets within 50 light years out. So mm -hmm. yes. I'm curious if you guys have future research and plans to help help Earth and the system identify how many of these planets have magnetic fields. Yes, that is actually I think most of the planets have magnetic field. But few planets actually also don't have. But even if they don't have a magnetic field, they also have an induced magnetosphere because what we have shown in our study that planet does not have a magnetic field, but then also Tellarwind can generate an induced magnetosphere on the planet. So, and this the observation you give, will give you the magnetospheric structure. But the problem is that if you don't have a magnetic field, then Tellarwind actually will destroy. Means you cannot expect life. And another thing is that in our study, we only focused on the closing orbit. Its orbits are very close, means like you can say in case of solar system, the distances are like Mercury and Venus. You can say it's only, I think, 10 or 20 solar areas. And um, basically, the... we are, people are now looking for JWST mission. Probably JWST will give us some idea about the composition of the exoplanetary atmosphere at least. Yeah. And from that composition, actually one can estimate the behavior of temperature. It's not much, but still you can expect something. Um, we'd, we'd also be interested in um, collaborating on, on research to help quantify how the thickness of the atomic oxygen layer of a planet, mm -hmm. how how this correlates to the magnetic field intensity that, that, that we observe. And because it's there should be um there should be a correlation flux and, and how that the the UV flux relates to um the Splitting of the oxygen and everything. Yeah. Mm, yes. Say exactly not sure. But but thanks to you guys, we're at you know, we're one step closer to launching these spaceships to, to exoplanets. <laughs> yes.
Thanks so much, Dimitra. So. Thank you. Thank okay, you again. Thank you again.